Hi there, and welcome to the Everything Accordion podcast. If you haven't checked out the Composer's Toolkit series yet, head on to the description of this episode and check out this series of 11 videos with more than 90 minutes of content on writing for the accordion, where I deconstruct different techniques and show and play some of the techniques which I find very useful for working with composers, especially when a composer doesn't have a chance to work live with an accordionist. I'm also planning on doing a masterclass on podcasting. Some of the people asked me, how do you start a podcast? How do you bring guests on a podcast? What software do I use? What setup do I use? And I'm thinking about doing this masterclass somewhere in the summer. If you would be interested, head on to the description of this episode. There's a question there, a question box, in which you can express your interest, whether you'd like to participate in this masterclass and what topics would you like me to cover, and whether you'd also like it as an episode here on the Everything Accordion podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Everything Accordion podcast. And today I'm super excited and super happy to invite on the show a Spanish accordionist who is not only a great musician, but is also a lot into research, who I've met when I was in Helsinki at the Sibelius Academy for my Erasmus exchange. So it is my great pleasure to invite Lore Amenabar on the podcast. Welcome, Lore. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. It's really great seeing you after these many years and before starting the recording of the podcast, we actually had a quick chat about the past two years and, you know, I never asked you, how did you start? Why the accordion? So I think this is the perfect chance to kind of get into those kinds of topics. So Lore, how did it happen that you became an accordionist? Yeah, um, I don't remember the day or the instance that I decided, you know, I want to play the accordion. But the fact that both my mom and dad are accordion players will probably have something to do with it. <laughs> Call me crazy. Um, I started, I come from a tiny village in, in the Basque country, the north part of Spain. And here, the, the accordion has a very important role in, in folk music, in the Basque folk mm. um, music. So I, it, it was very natural for me to, to start the accordion because of my parents and because of the, the place of the accordion in, in our society. And I started to go to this local music school and I started playing the accordion there. Um, and I played folk music exclusively, perceived orally. Um, all the Basque dances, Fandango uh, Arinarin, Cajita, um, um, Argentinian tango, uh, valses. Um, it was based, my music, let's say that my musicianship was based on performing folk music. And, and I'm really grateful for these years because they, it really helped me uh, develop my ear, for example, or develop that um, to have absolutely no problem in playing, in playing music in front of people. I was, I was the, the musician of the town, you know, I come from a town that the, <laughs> I, when I say small, I mean small, very small. I remember when, when I was a kid, we were only 1,000 inhabitants. I'm speaking about this oh, wow. small. So, wow. so yes, I, I, I was the... Yeah. 
I, I was the, the musician of the town. I was the one uh, providing music in, in my town, in the festivities or, or anything happening in my town. I was the, the accordionist that, that they asked to, to play. And not only my town, but the surroundings as well, the towns that are, are, are next to mine. So that's, um, yeah, it, it came very organically. And then um, after, well, I want to say six years of, of playing folk music only, the, the music school or my accordion teacher suggested me and, and my parents to keep studying somewhere else because well, they, they saw that, that I practiced every day, that I was progressing and, and they thought maybe that I would be better, um, but that my needs at that time were going to be better met in, in a conservatoire. So then I, I started to explore what that thing of free bass was because at, until then I had just performed on standard bass system. Mm -hmm. So uh, imagine a 11 year old Lore playing Bach and, and I'm sorry of about, um, I'm sorry to all the accordions that will now hear this, but um, I played Bach on standard bass system playing with oh, pedal domes. So I'm not the and, only and, one. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay. So, okay, let's move on then. Yes, okay. I thought that you were going to be all against, but okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't support the idea, but, you know, it was it was what I could do at that moment that time. So I remember playing Imagine on Stradella bass and pedal tones and, and dominant seventh with um, the Stradella bass chord. I mean, awful, awful. <laughs> do not do this. But... This is what I did. I didn't know what the, the free base was. And then a um, few months before the entrance examination for the conservatoire in, in San Sebastian, the, the, I started to learn what the free base was. And I started to delve into the classical um, side of the accordion. And I started to play, well, Scarlatti, Bach, um, Kusiakov, Solotaryov, uh, Heike Valpola, etc. All the greatest hits, <laughs> really. And yeah, this, this, are how, this is how I started. Wow, that's quite a story. And uh, how was it for you? So I presume, if my math is not wrong, that you started when you were five, performing, right? Uh, eight. Eight. I was eight. Eight. Okay. So yes. you were eight when you started. And like gravitating from folk music because you are sort of a, you know a famous person as you are saying in, in your <laughs> famous in my town, Gladia. Do not get do not get that excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean notoriety is notoriety, and you know fame fame is everywhere. Fame, so it's you know one thousand, ten thousand, still that's fame. Um, but you gravitated from that towards classical and more like, let's say, contemporary music. How was this passage towards you? Did it come like natural to you or were you kind of curious about it or you said, OK, what's that? And, you know, like, why should I study that? Yeah, I think that um, when this change, let's let's put it this way, this change happened, I was only 13 or 14, I think. Yeah, I think um, I was 14. So I don't remember me being conscious very much. Mm. I remember that um, as a person, I have always been very disciplined um, and, and responsible. And my parents being, being accordion players, they always, um, 
pushed me into the, the direction of discipline, practice every day. Uh, whenever we, we went on holidays abroad, the accordion came with us. There, there was no any, um, any day that, that I didn't play the accordion. The accordion was something that I had to do every day. And I remember um, creating um, diaries of what to practice every day. Five minutes, warm up, playing scales. Um, 30 minutes of uh, Kusyakov fourth sonata, uh, blah, blah, like that. And I remember creating mm -hmm. this every year, every year with my parents. I mean, this is um, the, uh, sorry, no, Kusyakov, I, I don't know why I said that. It would be something folk related. So it would be like uh, Amalur by Yoshino Chotorena, 30 minutes, folk music, but, but always very disciplined. So I suppose that you know, sometimes we have this this image of folk musicians that they are about like all about improvising and flexible and and you don't have to practice every day. I didn't have that. You know, I was very disciplined and and I had a certain regulatory thing going on. So it, it came only natural that that I started to to explore other pieces. As I said, I, I already played Bach on standard bass, but I did play Bach. So. Mm -hmm. It, it, it came very naturally. And then the change of, of teacher uh, at the conservatoire, I, I had another teacher and he started to introduce me to the um, classical world. So it came as a change of, like it, when I changed uh, conservatoire, that's when the change came. And it wasn't very traumatic. Um, I, mm -hmm. I remember um, that people were, well, people, my parents were wondering, you know, how it was going to be to learn the free bass suddenly. You know, it, it was, mm -hmm. was it going to be traumatic? So, an, an instrument that I had been playing for six years suddenly had a funny thing going on in, in the left hand, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. so, but, but, but not really because, um, as you know, I, I played the C system, as you know, the both um, manuals mirror each other. So then, Mm, with a bit of um, technique because you have to of course learn suddenly you start using a bit of thumb uh, the position of the hand changes um, th there are changes but they were introduced to me in, in a very organic manner so it wasn't very mm -hmm. traumatic at all yeah it was it great was... yeah I, I think it's fascinating to me what you were saying about this kind of discipline that you had since you were a child because probably that's something that helped the accordion become sort of a lifestyle because if you had to practice every day well had to you practiced you know every day so it became kind of a part of your daily routine so a part of your life probably this discipline also said well you know i will um trust the process and i will trust my new professor what he will give me and I will just continue with my routine and kind of go forward learning new stuff. So it wasn't really, you know, it was like gradual step by step. It wasn't something like, okay, I have this big challenge in front of me, like learning something in the left hand, which is completely different. So probably this kind of, as you are saying, because it was um, a schedule, it, a routine, it became a lifestyle. So I find it super fascinating. Then, then you start to to be involved in this vicious cycle of I practice every day, therefore I am getting better, and because I'm getting better, I enjoy what I'm doing, and because 
I enjoy what I'm doing, I practice more. So then, then, then you meet this, this cycle that is, of course, very positive and it's very addictive. And, and then the, the change of, of um, repertoire or the change of music school to, to conservatoire is just a footnote. It's just something that happens within that cycle. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. And I like the way you said about it, the cycle that becomes kind of yeah. the, the engine of, you know, continuing exactly, doing yes. this. Mm. Exactly. Mm. Hey, are you stuck with your career? Are you unsure whether the direction you're headed is the correct one? Perhaps you don't know what's your next step in the career, or you just like to talk about your doubts? Feel free to book a virtual coffee with me or a career consultation. Just head to my website, gennadyrotare.com slash shop slash book online and choose the service which you would like to book. I would be very happy to listen to you and to give you a hand in understanding what's your next step towards the career you desire. Great. So you went and studied in San Sebastian, and then afterwards you also went to Helsinki, you know, to the Sibelius where Academy. Where I met you. Which, exactly, where we met. And I'm not sure how, how, because I know that Sibelius Academy is a very popular destination for Erasmus students, and also obviously for Nordic countries. How popular is it of a choice for Spain normally? Mm. Um, I don't know if it's popular or not. Um, I suppose it is popular because there were some um, accordionists, not only accordionists, but musicians, Spanish musicians that ended up uh, doing their degrees in, in Finland. However, my, my own um, experience is that when I think I was 11 or 12, I was still Let's let's put in context. I was still in, in my tiny village in my music school playing folk music. So imagine this little Lore <laughs> playing this type of music and uh, living in a tiny um, village um, surrounded by mountains. So uh, my parents must have uh, heard or read that there was a Finnish accordion player coming uh, to perform in the town that is next to mine. This, mm. this, this is crazy when, when I tell you and, and you'll laugh, you'll see. The, this Finnish accordion player was coming to, the, to, to this town that is a bit bigger than mine, but it's not very big. I mean, it's small, it's quite small. And he was coming to perform. So, okay, my whole, whole family, we went and we watched this concert. Well, the feeling that I had during the whole concert, well, I still have goosebumps when, when thinking about it. It was really a jaw-dropping experience. I didn't understand what this man was doing, but all I could think of was, um, I don't know what just happened, but this is something that I have never, ever experienced in life with music, not only with accordion, with music, and I want to be able to play like this man. Well, if I was 12, Let's say that six years later, this man became my professor. It was Mika, Mika Baurunen. So this wow. man, um, I, I followed what whatever Mika was doing. I, I knew that, mm -hmm. that the feeling that I had uh, listening to, to this accordion player was something that 
that that was not ordinary that I, I had to do something with it and I decided to to follow my my feeling and, and to study to study with him so Laura now we know we figured it out why you went to the Sibelius Academy <laughs> basically exactly exactly so my primary reason was was him um, I knew that I had very, very good options um, at my home. I mean, Iñaki Alberdi was uh, teaching in Musikene, who is one of the best accordion players in the world. Um, at that time, Angelus Castaño was also teaching in Zaragoza. Um, mm -hmm. So I had, within Spain, I already had few options that were incredible. However, um, I wanted to experience living abroad. I wanted to experience what it was to, to be... Uh, out of my home, out of, of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I, I, I must say that I was very lucky that I could afford, not um, ec um, economically only, but but there are some parents, for example, that don't want their, their child to, to go abroad in, in, in the Greece. Maybe masters, mm -hmm. yes, but when you are a teacher, you're still quite young. But yeah. I, I have, I'm really, really grateful, and I'm, I have always been very conscious that my parents could first uh, afford it economically. They've mm -hmm. uh, both been working their whole lives, and they could afford it, um, and they were willing to afford it as well. Because one thing is that uh, you are able, and the other one is if you're willing to. Sure. They were willing to 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 do it, and I felt I was ready. I, I'll put it in, in quotation marks. I was ready or I was brave enough, if you want to call it, to, to go abroad yeah. and, and, and live a new experience. Absolutely. Also, how old were you when you moved to Finland? 18. 18. I, when, when I met you, my first year was your, your Erasmus year. So, yeah, it wow. was my first yeah. time. And, you know, like being 18 and moving because it's it's not behind the corner. It's like the other, the opposite side of Europe. So, you know, it's a completely different environment. Exactly. Also, if you would want to go with stereotypes, it's completely different um, climate. <laughs> like, you know, it's something that you're not really used to. I remember when I, exactly. when I arrived. You're going in, alone. Yeah, also, also. And I remember I arrived in Helsinki. It was, I was there from January till May and I arrived there and I was like, ah, I'm used to, you know, cold winters. We sometimes had minus 10, minus 15, and it was minus 20 outside in Helsinki. So I was like, it's fine, you know, I'm, I'm gonna manage. Now, after two minutes, I ran inside the airport, like took out all of my, you know, the, the warmest clothes, put them on and like, okay, now let's find where I need to go. Cause like- <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, no, it's- Exactly. It, it, it was a big change, but in the end, like, I'm sure that you had the same feeling. Didn't you notice that, um, because people, you know, comment on the fact that, oh, you were so brave in going there when you were 18, or going, doesn't, you don't have to be 18, but going in such a young age and, and going to a different country alone. But in the end, like, it's, uh, first of all, it's Helsinki, it's a very safe city. It's, it's a city that is very small. Um, and in the end, and most importantly, there are people, there are students that are in the exact same situation as you are. There are so many international students that are in the same situation as you. So of course you are going to create this group and, and you are going to meet people that are that, that have the same your same needs. That the, the, 
probably for the first time they have to pay rent that probably for the first time they have to cook for the first time uh, they have to <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly so it's an experience that you are alone but not really you don't have your your family or friends but you have your new friends that that have the same um daily routine and and, and daily needs as you so then it, it, it's not it's not very difficult or in my case at least it wasn't very difficult no but it's it's absolutely true what you are saying and it's crucial i think at a young age to actually find an environment in which you are moving into and experiences experiencing new things especially between the ages of 16 and 22 23 years old so the listeners if you're young accordionists or musicians who are you know in a position and doubting whether you should go someplace take the chance and go because it's a really unique experience um in my case i've been selected with a scholarship to finish high school in italy at an international school when i was 16 so I basically moved to Italy when I was 16 and I was, as you were saying, in the same position as 120, I think, other students from 80 different countries in the world. So having that experience really builds your mentality, really opens up and, and broadens your horizons. And, you know, you actually confront yourself with other people and have a very stimulating uh, growth and life experience you know so it's, it's absolutely true and i can only encourage people to take that leap of faith in a way and you know go and do these kinds of experiences yeah exactly and then in my case also helsinki is such a welcoming city um not only the the education system is known to be the the number one <laughs> or uh, but also the english level of finnish people is incredibly good so then you are not left out you don't feel like you're left out because you understand them they understand you you feel welcome you the university uh content is incredible i mean i i only have positive words from finland i i spent i would say one of my most important years there imagine i was there for five years from the age mm. of i went there when i was 18 i i went and i left when i was 23. it was well, crucial years of of one's yeah. life yeah you went and, as a teenager yeah. and went outside as an adult basically and exactly just a disclaimer yes. for the listeners this this episode is in no way or shape sponsored by finland or oh, you know, no, no, no. Academy. <laughs> it's just we are you know that's that's what the country does to you you will you go there and exactly you're really it's it's the nostalgia speaking really it's that we are, we feel nostalgic <laughs> true i mean you never basically in most of the episodes i kind of mentioned things i either did in finland or <laughs> went to finland who i met and you know i've had Janne on the podcast i've had mm -hmm. mati Matti, uh, Matti yes. on the podcast. Um, I hope Matti Rantanen will also be on the podcast at some point. Ah. We'll see. <laughs> that would be great, but uh, we'll see. So, Lore, I mean, you've pretty much said what you think about your experience in in Finland. What do you think uh, sets 
the accordion world in Finland apart from the other countries that you've been to? I would say the I, I can see a lot of similarities between uh, the Basque country and Finland in the sense that the accordion uh, is part of the folk music, um, part of the folk music. Um, and therefore, a lot of people know about the accordion. I mean, in, in Finland, I remember when, when or, or in the Basque country, eh, if you said to anybody, you know, I'll play the accordion. In the Basque country, it's a little bit more complicated because in the, in the Basque country, the accordion that is that plays folk music is the diatonic accordion called trichetitia. Mm. So it's a type of accordion, but it's not the, the classical accordion. In Finland, it's the accordion. It's the standard bass, but, but it's the accordion. Uh, or it used to be the standard bass, I mean. But so therefore, um, almost every family has an accordion at home. Do you know, my grandfather used to play the accordion. So it, it's something that, that the society is conscious of. Mm-hmm. And that creates um, some type of society, you know, the accordion society. Oh, you play the accordion, that's great. But if you add the great matirantare to that equation, well, I imagine um, the, the father or one of the fathers, because I, I think that the father, maybe it's Morgan Telegard, but Matirantanen is also undoubtedly the, one of the fathers of the classical accordion. And the work that Matirantanen did in, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, when collaborating with uh, different composers and creating repertoire for that new instrument, I imagine. And he yeah. created a school. He created the, the, the accordion class of the Sibelius Academy. Imagine. And, and he had great um, students such as Helka, Helka Kumalainen, Veli Kujala, um, um, Mika, and who are now part of, of uh, the professors of the Sibelius Academy. So they, they created this, this great society where the composers were interested in writing for that instrument people were interested because they were saying oh i know what this instrument is let's hear what it can do apart from playing polkas so i think i think there are a lot of factors that um that happened at the same time and impulsed this this great the this great situation of, of the accordion in finland Absolutely. And, you know, I remember now that uh, I was talking to Matti Rantanen about this and he told me that, you know, when he went and met Mögens Elegard, um, they really kind of collaborated in the sense that they exchanged their experiences, talked, but it's not that Matti went to study with Mögens Elegard. So I always felt that Matti always stayed very humble in that respect because mm-hmm he was conscious of the fact that there is much to learn also from the students, also from collaborating with other musicians, with composers. And that's probably something that kept him, you know, innovating and going and getting to grow such a huge and valuable, you know, heritage also in terms of having the actual professors right now at the Sibelius Academy, like Veli Kujala, like Mika Vajrin and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, it, it's really, if you think about it, he managed to bring several generations of incredible musicians upwards, you know, also 
Iñaki Alberdi also studied with uh, with Mati. So you know, it's really it's really impressive, really incredible. But you know, let's move towards today's. Where are you now? You're in London, right? Yes, I'm in London. What um, are you doing in London? When when I was still in Finland, I was doing my masters, and I had to. I was deciding what to do next, and I knew that Velikuyala uh, had these uh, quotes on accordion and was performing rather frequently on it. And I was going to all the concerts that I could of this instrument because I was fascinated by it. I and and it was also one of the. No, one of the, no, the first concert that I, that I attended in 2013. So I just arrived to Finland and I want to say maybe two weeks later, I went to this concert and it was someone playing an accordion that sounded funny. So I was like, yeah. where am I? Where am I? But yeah, so that sticked to me and, and I... Since then, I have been a, a, the greatest fan of, of Veli. Um, I think he's well, a very, very intelligent man, um, a very multifaceted musician. Um, well, I, I love him. He, I'm his greatest fan. And I knew that I wanted to do something with the quarter accordion. Lore, and may I start- interrupt you a little bit here. For the listeners who have no idea about the quarter tone accordion, what it is. Could you briefly explain a little bit? Because, you know, for us in this environment, we kind of all know more or less what a quarter tone accordion is, but, you know, some of the listeners might not know that. So if you could briefly describe it. Yes. Well, a quarter tone accordion is an accordion that, of course, can produce quarter tones. And quarter tones are, or is a type of a microtonal system in which the semitone is cut to half. Therefore, uh, the octave, instead of being divided into 12 um, divisions, is divided into 24. So um, the, this accordion, this quarter accordion, can produce these extra 12 uh, notes. And yeah, therefore, the notes would be C, C quarter sharp, C sharp, C three quarter sharp D etc. How how does it work on a physical level? How do you create an accordion that's a quarter tone accordion? Well, there are funnily um, about eight different variants of the quarter tone accordion in the world. Wow. Um, yes. Um, they all have taken different approaches into how to, to do that. Um, the approach that is or has been the most complete, ironically, has been the first ever quarter tone accordion ever built, which was done by Veli in 2005. Veli created the, uh, the only full range quarter tone accordion. How did, did he do that? Well, he collaborated with um, Finnish composer Sampo Hapamaki. And they um, went to Bijini in Italy and they asked for quotes on reed blocks. That is, they, they had reed blocks that, that could produce quotes in both the right hand and left hand manuals. Uh, a little disclaimer here. The only reason why I say that uh, Veli's accordion is the most complete instrument is because he, it has been the only full ranged 
quarterstone accordion. Uh, there are other variants, for example, that can produce quarterstones only in the right hand, or mm. um, variants uh, have only a certain registers of the right hand manual tuned a quarterstone mm -hmm. higher, and therefore they were um, able to create a um, hyperchromatic scale uh, using the um, stereophonic nature of the accordion, mm -hmm. etc. So let, let's stick to Velis, which which is the the most complete one. Um, what Veli did was um, created quarterstone read blocks, and then he he placed these quarterstone read blocks inside his already existing uh, Pigeon series. So he he had his accordion, and it's a very practical uh, solution when, for example, um, going abroad and going on the um, or going to play a concert. You all have to all you have to take is an accordion and a suitcase with read blocks, and then you can easily change. Um, <clears throat> however, this um, approach creates some limitations. For example, the peak color register in the left-hand manual cannot produce quarter-tones because as it is the body of a classical accordion, it creates some issues of space. So then mm. uh, you have um, quarter-tones except in the peak color register. Okay. Um, another another limitation is, for example, that the um, uh, color of the buttons in in the right hand manual, of course, does not match the the notes that you are playing. True. No, because suddenly mm -hmm. you see a white button and it sounds, uh, let's say, the quad sharp. Well, it, it doesn't help. Yeah. And etc. So I wanted to base the the idea of my instrument on this one. However, I wanted to change approach and say, okay, instead of thinking um, of these limitations, because uh, Veli's approach in the end is uh, an incredible approach and well, incredible that they thought of it in 2005 and it was the first time that it had ever happened, but it does create, you do meet some barriers. And I wanted with my approach not to have to meet this barrier. So I thought, what if I create a quarterstone specific instrument, build an accordion from zero that hmm. would create quarterstones? And this solution, this approach solved these problems. For example, my accordion is able to have um, pick color register in the left hand, or I could then change the color of the buttons uh, and it matches the, the actual pitch you're playing. I could have this tactile reference in speeches uh, C and F in, in both manuals. So it helps when, when performing, etc. Um, but it has one downside that I am, um, not very happy with and that's when i have to go abroad but imagine i have to carry two accordions you always have to compromise something but i rather uh, compromise logistics than music itself if that mm -hmm. makes sense yeah absolutely. so so yes the my design um is based on on veli but it has some some changes for example veli's accordion is based and I put this in many, many quotation, between many quotation marks, is based on the Finnish system. And the Finnish mm -hmm. system, I mean the, the layout. And therefore, the right-hand layout and left-hand layout do not mirror each other. There is logic behind it, the, but it, they don't mirror each other. And I come from the C system. I come from a very 
simple sister, I think. So I needed my accordion to that um, had uh, both mirrored, mirrored each, both uh, layout mirrored each other. Mm-hmm. So if I have pitch B in the in the first row, I need pitch B in the first row of the left hand as well. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, there are a few changes that that um, that I did to Belly's accordion. Wow, that's absolutely fascinating. I didn't know that, you know, all of his details and it's really, I'm super happy that, you know, after talking with Arshia last year on the podcast, I mean, we actually managed to have one episode also dedicated to the quarter tone accordion. So I'm curious, what color, what colors did you choose for the quarter tones? Like, is it uh, white, gray, slightly more gray, black or... <laughs> This is funny because all the accordion players, the first question that you ask is, which color did you have? <laughs> it's funny. This is this is something that happens only uh, with accordionists. So other people don't really care about the color, but the accordionists are like, excuse me, which color? No, I, I well, chose. I think I... if you had like a piano, piano that's in quarter tones, they would also need extra keys or colors or whatever. Sure. Yes, there actually is this um, Finnish piano player, Elisa Jarvi, um, did a, a course from piano and, and it's incredible as well. But anyway, the color that I chose <laughs> was uh, blue. I, I based this decision on the quarter tone organ called the Fokker organ and was created in the 20th century, early 20th century, and used blue, uh, blue keys to um, denote quarter tones. So I took this hmm. as a uh, base and yeah, I, I decided blue was a nice looking color as well. <laughs> so that, that yeah. is, I went to, to the, um, do you know this famous uh, part shop in Castelfidardo? The, it's an accordion part shop that is yeah, in- I, a, I in think I know, state. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, well, I know the one. A great shop for for all the listeners that need a- anything seriously you have to go to this shop i think that the street name is called um ferrari but i'm but i'm not sure i maybe i'm wrong eh? but it's in castelfidardo and it's the part shop you can ask uh, pigini or or bugari or scandali they know what what shop this is but anyway i went there and i looked at different colors and i wanted blue but i didn't know what type of blue I was going to find and I found the one I liked and yeah that is that is how it happened wasn't that lucky you know but you actually found the actual blue that you wanted yeah well I'm not I must say though I'm not that strict there I'm I'm not very strict in thinking yeah I want this tone and I want this shade no no for me for me I put the the black um, I wanted um, mother pearl uh, buttons. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm a fan of mother pearl, and I wanted the black and white mother pearl buttons. And I was hesitant to see how the because there's not any blue button that is mother pearl. So mm-hmm. I was thinking to you know is it going to be a bit weird that I'm going to have white and black in mother pearl and blue in plastic? But no, I think it it, it looks good. Or in my opinion, at least it looks good. Mm-hmm. Well, I haven't seen yours yet, so I'll go and check it out after <laughs> after we talk. Um, and, you know, uh, now that I have this curiosity, because on the button accordion, normally you would have like the, the, the outer three rows in the right hand, the actual notes, and then the fourth and the fifth row are doubling 
the outer tool, right? So on your instrument, are you using all of the buttons or are we doubling as well? This is such an interesting question because this was the questions that I had to ask myself when designing my instrument. Do I want the 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 fourth, as you said, fourth and fifth rows repeating uh, repeating the first and second, because otherwise the range will be halved. No. Yeah. True. Um, and I decided, and I experimented with having five independent rows. I also experimented with having four independent rows and have only the fifth row uh, repeat the fir uh, first one, etc. But the thing is that with these independent rows or these um, approaches, the um, the feature that I like the most about the accordion, which is the fact that is a position based or has a position based uh, keyboard, is mm -hmm. uh, completely thrown away. Mm. And I didn't want that. I, I wanted okay. that um, if I had a position, uh, let's let's imagine ourselves a major chord, major chord position in in the bottom accordion. I wanted that all the keys had the same major chord position. For me, that was very that was crucial okay. because yeah. it is mm -hmm. it is the feature that that I love the most about the accordion. But imagine that you can transpose anything, or when whenever you have to do I, I'm I'm a very practical example for my mind when I you have to um, play Bach. Uh, when there are motives that are in the same keys, or it's the same posture, but but come on, it's a mind blown mm -hmm. thing that happens there. I, I didn't want to take that away, mm -hmm. so then I decided to to have that unchanged. So to have mm -hmm. three independent rows and two uh, repeated rows. The the range is halved, yes, but with help of registers you can. Mm -hmm. balance that somehow somehow because you know now now that i was thinking about my question was like well wouldn't i think would there be enough space inside the instrument to actually place all of those reeds if you had like five independent rows i think the instrument would become super heavy and probably it would be much bigger Exactly. Yes. And you would have to change many things. I mean, the the read block suddenly, I don't know. You'd have to, oof, it would be, I, I, I don't know if I'm intelligent enough to think of, of these different things. Uh, and also the fact that, of course, I, I went um, <clears throat> and worked with Bugari in, mm -hmm. in Italy. And of course, there is this, I, I speak Spanish, of course, and they speak uh, Italian, and we manage quite well. I mean, there are two different languages. I'm sure you don't have that problem because of uh, because you know Italian. But anyway, there is this language barrier. So imagine myself explaining <laughs> <laughs> to, to no, it's just this is quarter tone. No, no, it was it was something that I wish I recorded because it was it was a funny it was a funny situation explaining the the factory workers that mm -hmm. um, of course it is you know I want this instrument on their faces uh, why <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean it's a completely you know like they, they are used to doing this kind of instruments for like 40 years 50 60 years now <laughs> and you're coming and you're saying I want a completely different one so this is how I want it We're like why but i really love the way you know the thing that you said about practicality because as a performer you know 
as you were saying, there, there are some references, especially in formed musicians, because you and me are like formed musicians, right? So to kind of take away our, let's, let's call them reference points and pillars of performing on these instruments, it would be to take away like, I don't know, 80% of what we know about the instruments. So why would you want to do that, right? So this brings me again to the question, what are you doing in London? Oh yeah, it's true. Oh my God, I haven't even answered to this question. Yes, so I, read... I interrupted you before. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, after deciding that I wanted to do something with the quartz and accordion, I started to to see different programs where in where my idea could be formed. No, I was thinking, should I do another master's? Should I do another um, artist? Or, I don't know, these degrees that uh, are postgraduate degrees, mm -hmm. you know, artistic development or whatever, yeah. concert, whatever in, concert in, in, in Germany. In Germany. Concert yeah. examen, yes, there you go. And I was thinking, you know, what do I do? And doctorate was one of the possibilities. And I, uh, at that time, I thought that the flexibility and, and the tools that, that the, the doctorate offered um, were, were suited the best for what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to learn my instrument or learn the quarter and accordion. And I knew that I wanted to learn the instrument by commissioning or by commissioned pieces. I mean, mm -hmm. I wanted to explore this instrument by performing new music. And by performing new music, you start to understand what the instrument really is. And I knew that, that I wanted to do that. And the doctorate offered the perfect framework in which to build my, my, my desired work. So I started to um, see different programs, different doctoral programs. And I knew that the Royal Academy of Music had a supervisor that was, um, um, he's a microtonal composer. <laughs> so he <Okay>. was, yeah. <laughs> and he knew what, what uh, microtonality was anyway. And I knew that there were many, many interested composer, interesting composers that I wanted to work with. For example, uh, Michael Felici, Christopher Fox, Claudia Molitor, etc. I knew that they were all based in, in the UK. So mm -hmm. I decided to try and apply to the Royal Academy of Music. And in 2019, I started uh, my PhD there. So this is how I ended here. Amazing. Hey, would you like to be the protagonist of one of the episodes of the podcast? I would really love to make an episode with the travel stories of accordionists, because I am sure that each of us had a fun or a terrifying or a very stressful or meaningful experience when traveling with our accordion. So if you have a fun story or a terrible story, you can either write it to me on Instagram or you can send in a voice message. And if you'd like, I would include your voice message into this episode while you recount this story. And I will also tell a few stories from my experience and also from some friends who told their stories because I think it's a really fun episode and I would really love you, the listeners, to contribute to this episode. So send in your voice message or send your message to me on Instagram or by email, and I will read it out on the episode. Beautiful. Yeah. I absolutely love it. And, you know, the fact that 
you knew what you wanted, you found the place and you just went for it. Also because, as probably many people know, living and studying in London is not easy, both, you know, from an economical point of view, but also from the point of view of actually creating a space for yourself, because it's a multi-million population city. And there's yeah. so much happening that, more. you know, yeah, true. Now even true. more with Brexit. When when I came here, the this new environment didn't happen yet, um, and I, I knew that London was going to be complicated because of, of what you said. There are a lot of of people here, but at the same time, you know, um, we are not that many accordion players here. I think that we are growing, and I think that the the accordion community is is doing very well here and they have they are growing very fast therefore but but it's not as grown as in finland for example or in or yeah. in spain mm -hmm. it's, it's it's a successful community so i see my place here more than i saw myself in finland funnily enough mm -hmm. here i i find i i can do different things in finland <laughs> this is a yeah, I, I'm, I'm generalizing here, but there's so many incredible accordion players there that you're a bit, uh, where's my place, you know? They, they are, you already have all great accordionists and composers and, and pedagogues here. And, and here in London, for in proportion, you know, we are not that many. So I see myself um, here having more of a place than, than, than I did anywhere else. I, and I think, you know, like Finland, is a big country but it's also a very small place because it's really not that big and for the amount no, the, of musicians the that they have, it's, you know the inhabitants it's very small yeah true true so i think london is only appropriate especially in this in this kind of regards that you know you're experimenting and you're the only quarter tone accordionist there i think so you know yeah. it's like the, the best option that you could have so uh, what are some of the commissions that are coming coming up next for you well i the i have completed four commissions um and those have been by donald Baustet, uh, david gordon and uh, James Batty. Those are all uh, UK composers. And I was uh, very lucky. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry that I keep uh, mentioning Finland, but I'm very nostalgic. I'm sorry. But <laughs> don't don't, I had, don't be sorry. <laughs> I had um, this great opportunity to perform uh, my debut concert of, of as a quartetron accordionist in Finland this past February, and I premiered these these works there. Um, they are the videos are in YouTube for for anybody that that uh, wants to listen to them. Yes, and... absolutely. We will put all of the links in the description of the episode as well as your website so that people can go and see your incredible work and everything <laughs> that you did. So yeah, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, and I had I already um, premiered these these works, and now I am um, I have just finished a commission. Um, finished the commission. I never know how to say this because I haven't written the piece. I mean, I just yeah, yeah. you know, it's just finished. I never know how to use um, commission in a sentence. You know, yeah, anyway, I mean, me you know? it's like I, I commissioned someone. <laughs> exactly. I performed the commissioned work. I don't know. It's it's weird. 
Exactly. But so um, there is a finished commission uh, by Christopher Fox um, uh, that I have just uh, learned. And now I am working on a piece by Michael Finnessy. So um, the, um, amongst the future collaborations, there are um, Miyoko Yokoyama, she's a Japanese composer that is uh, currently teaching in, in this Willis Academy. <laughs> I love because I, I mentioned against Willis Academy. Yeah, it's um, like you always kind of have this link towards Finland. You know, it's always yeah, well, exactly. Five years of my life, I mean, I, I think that I'll be 18 years old and still going, going on about uh, Finland. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's in my heart. What can I do? Um, Electra Perivolaris, Arsia Samstaminia, who, who was invited to, to this uh, podcast, etc. So in total, I have about 12 um, different pieces, which I think it's, it's quite good for, for four years of, of studies. I think it's the correct amount. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with, with how the project is going. I was a little bit nervous last year with the whole you know, situation, but um, I've had to, like everybody, I had to reinvent myself and, 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 and do everything online. So it has happened. Mm -hmm. It has slowed down the process. I won't deny it, but it's still going and I'm, and I'm happy. Hopefully in Great. one year, I will become a doctor, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Well, fingers crossed. And, you know, we're looking forward, me especially, but also the listeners, I think, and I hope that, you know, we're looking forward to seeing and hearing some more great music and collaborations that you are doing and, you know, seeing the results of your research into this area, which is still very new in our accordion world, because I think mm -hmm. our instruments are already kind of experimenting on that. Um, almost 10 years ago, I think they started, even 20 maybe. So it's for us, it's still kind of fresh. And I hope that more and more people will get interested in, mm -hmm. you know, listening and seeing and exploring. So where can people catch you, you know, in, for your next performances? What are, what, what are you looking forward to this year? Well, this year I have... A, for example, I have um, a concert in Italy, um, in Spoleto, in July 9th, if I remember correctly, uh, where I will be performing on um, both the Quarterstone and the Classical Accordion. Um, in my concerts in the future, I'd like to, to play on both accordions. Um, I think it's... Um, I remember when, when, when I... The last concert that I performed in, in Finland, everybody was commenting on the fact that how good it was to play in, in, in with two accordions. And I find also that it uh, offers a great balance within within the concert. No, it's uh, mm -hmm. not maybe 50-50, but I try at least to do 50% on the classical accordion, 50% on the quarter mm -hmm. accordion. I like that that balance. Would it be okay if I played one hour in the quarter accordion? Absolutely, yes. Would it be okay if I played one hour in the classical accordion? Absolutely, yes. But at this moment in time, I am in the phase of doing 50% classical and 50% uh, quarter accordion. So yeah, this Amazing. is what, what I have in mind now. Absolutely. And, you know, listeners in Italy, if you're near Spoleto or wherever, I mean, in Italy, there's really 
not much going on with microtonality, especially with accordion, I think. Whereas Claudio Iacomucci, who I know he's doing something, um, but you know, it's not every day that you're gonna hear such a concert. So check out Lore's website. It's a link in the description of the episode and keep an eye out for where she's playing, what she's doing, because I think, and I know that many great works and many great things are coming from you, Lore, in the next years to come. So thank you again for being here on the podcast. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. I, I spent such a good time. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you really enjoy the podcast and all the episodes and all of the great guests, and you would like to hear more and get exclusive content, both from the podcast and from me, consider becoming a supporter, benefactor, or a patron on my Patreon page. Just head on to patreon.com slash Rotari, or click on the link in the description of this episode and consider supporting my activity, both here as a podcast and as a musician. This really helps me keep motivated and bring new content to you, dear listeners. Thank you very much, and see you in the next episode.